digital health. Word Digital Health. Wardell Advisors is helping digital health companies address issues around growth, fundraising, and strategic alternatives. Our guest today is Matthew Holt, on Twitter. This show is being recorded and will be included in my podcast series called Digital Health Investor Talk. This is not investment advice, and we are not investment advisors. Today's topic is, who are the consolidators? Looking at which companies are in the consolidation game for digital health companies and what's going on in their world. First off, here's the format for this investor talk. We'll talk for about 60 minutes. After that, we'll be taking call-ins from our audience. In order for you to do more than just watch, you need to register an account with call-in, and you can still do that now. To register, you can access call-in at callin.com or through the call-in social podcasting app in your app store. The call-in platform works similarly to Clubhouse Rooms and Twitter Spaces for a modern social audio experience. Uh, Once you do that, you can ask questions in the text chat or raise your hand to be a caller. If you have questions or comments, you can also email them to me at stephen at wardelladvisors.com, and I treat and to be a caller. If you have questions or comments, you can also email them to me at stephen at wardelladvisors.com, and I treat those as confidential. I don't name the person who asks them. Um, so with that, I thought we'd cover, uh, Matthew, the news of the week. And the big news was, um, I think it was those as confidential. I don't name the person who asks them. Um, so with that, I thought we'd cover uh, asked, and that is later learned to fail. Thursday, people in Silicon Valley and, this, and the innovation community in general start talking about um, pulling money out of Silicon Valley Bank. Friday morning, it closes. Uh, and Monday um, or Sunday night, uh, you have the Fed and the Treasury saying they'll backstop deposits there and at other banks. Um, you, you live in that, you live literally <laughs> in the Silicon Valley area. Um, can you tell, I, I know of companies that, you know, we're going to have trouble making payroll uh, unless they unless they got some sort of quick access to their cash. Uh, can you tell us what you're seeing, what you think? Uh, and now, by the way, uh, Credit Suisse you know, is seeing its stock price pull in, uh, and the National Bank of, of Switzerland, the, National, the Central Bank of Switzerland, has said that it will support Credit Suisse. So this is spread to other banks and beyond the U.S. Well, I mean, <clears throat> so some of this right, has been around for a while. Um, Credit Suisse has been having trouble uh, based on some really strange uh, financial arrangements it was making, and it got got caught up a few years ago. And there's been a lot of individual hedge funds, uh, hedge funds, and you know, not even count. <clears throat> excuse me, not even counting all the uh, crypto stuff. <clears throat> excuse me, that have been you know that have been tra- in trouble over recent years and made big trading mistakes. And that's kind of always the case with those. I guess that the difference with Silicon Valley Bank keeping a bit of signature, but Silicon Valley and First Republic and everybody else, right, going back to 2008, 2009, um, Washington Mutual and some of the others that, that, that went under then, is that this is like a bank where people, you know, use the bank, assuming that their cash is money in the bank, right? Um, whereas a lot of people who trade, who are, who, a lot of sort of principal hedge funds who are trading you know, or investment banks are trading on their own account and making mistakes, you know, you know, those guys can go out of business and you have to hope it doesn't 
spill over, spill over to the rest of the of the uh, of the community. Whereas, as you said, there were certainly um, at least three categories I know of, of, of organizations that was stuck with Silicon Valley Bank, right? So one was uh, the sort of typical startup who are the main people, you know, something like end of the day, there's something like half of all startups that got funded bank there. And so had, you know, whatever the number was, you know, 70 billion plus, sorry, 170 billion plus, you know, on deposit there. And what they did with that money wasn't obviously as bright as it should have been. You'd have assumed that they would have hedged, you know, the interest rates of the securities that they invested in. Um, they couldn't make money just by putting money in treasury bills and treasury bonds because they were, the interest rates were so low. And as those interest rates went up, they had, the securities they had bought went down in value because bonds go down when interest rates go up and vice versa. Um, that is financial advice. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, it, it, it seems to me that there's no alternative for the government but to say we're going we're gonna to have to backstop this because otherwise you are going to get a banking contagion. And those are very, very bad. <laughs> so um, the other people who it's you know had money in there were the, the venture capitalist funds themselves right so there's a lot of a lot of the working capital that would have gone you know to perhaps bridge loans or whatever for those different um for those different uh, companies that were in trouble would have had to come out of the same bank so that you know i, I don't know i do know at least one small venture fund that i i'm involved with that had you know several million sitting on on, on deposit in a money market fund managed by silicon valley bank and you know whether that would have been covered in a different way had the government not stepped in who knows but i, I understand this and i think probably you know long run will the government will get out the fdic will get out of this about flat or they might do a small tax on other banks but if you remember the top right which was the big asset relief restructuring program done in 2009 the government actually made a profit on that in the end right they actually oh, it all came back so I, I guess the bigger question is, is, is there an implication here for the future? We'll get into this with the consolidators, right? Is, is there a, a, an implication here for the future of venture funding as a whole? I mean, does this actually mean anything or not for, for you know, how the, how the market's going to come back? If the market's going to come back, what is the impact on macro um, interest rates, if there is any, and what's the impact on, you know, venture funding? You know, I'll, I'll just add to that, you know, a couple of things. One is, is that um, the world of venture, the way that it works, uh, if you can't, people are very sensitive to the idea that if you can't make payroll, um, then the, the, the management and the board are actually liable for having, having sort of cheated and harmed employees if they literally can't make payroll. And so that would then, uh, and they're, they're not shielded by normal corporate liability. And so that means that they have to act immediately if they think they're not going to make payroll and they have to furlough or lay people off. And that just destroys the confidence in, in the young company. So there are people who could have gotten jobs working for big established companies, chose to make a difference, go work for a young company. Um, and then that, that company, you know, has a liquidity crisis, uh, can't get its hands on its own cash, can't pay them. And so you had this, trust built up that young company before it really had a product to sell. Um, and now uh, that trust is potentially destroyed. So that was one interesting aspect of the nature of Silicon Valley Bank, especially nature of, of young companies and innovative startups. And then another story I heard was that sort of uniquely um, this ecosystem uh, of VCs and startup leaders 
uh, are all connected to each other on Twitter and on WhatsApp groups and on text message, uh, and they sort of move at the speed of light. And so a, uh, a, um, you know, a bank run that uh, might have taken several days and, and stopped at some point all of a sudden happened to the extent that 50 billion was removed from Silicon Valley Bank on Thursday and it was closed Friday morning um, because everyone was all connected to each other and moved at lightning speed. So I don't know if you uh, uh, if you have uh, if you are seeing that as well. Well, I mean, yeah, I, the reason I found out it was happening, so I, I think I'd vaguely seen a mention that stock had gone down because they'd taken a billion, a two billion dollar loss on their on their bond portfolio. Uh, apparently, Goldman was the buyer. I heard, but you know, I saw a bunch of people on, on Twitter on Thursday morning going, oh, you know, I think this is a real time bank run." Obviously, by that stage, word got out that Peter Thiel and his and and also the YC folks had said, you know, you should get your money out, um, and a lot of people tried to get their money out and and, and couldn't. Right, so. Uh, Yes, that probably is the first, you know, it's, but, but then again, bank runs happen before, you know, we've all seen it's a wonderful life. <laughs> we, we know how these things happen. And we, you know, you also know the money isn't actually in the bank, right? The money is somewhere else. It's, uh, as Jimmy Stewart said, it's in Mrs. Jones's house down the street and a hundred others, you know, and you'll get your money back in 90 days. <laughs> so, but I, uh, I, I kind of feel that, you know, the U.S. has been very good at managing this process getting bigger banks to take over the smaller banks of it in history, you know, and that it's not that big a deal from the, uh, from the asset class. What, what it has done, I mean, one thing I saw, there's a company called uh, Meow, which I've never heard of, which is a FinTech company, which did a lot of business over the, uh, um, the weekend because they have, were basically a front end where you can invest two up to 250 in a up 250 K in a, in a, in a checking account that pays interest. And then, uh, they had a, a system where they managed to buy into and buy and, and sell out of T-bills, you know, sell T-bonds or whatever it is. So my sense is that they're going to be, you know, people are going to be much more cognizant of this going forward. But in the end, you've got to believe in a capitalist society that money in the bank is your money in the bank, right? If you don't believe that, then we're down to like, you know, putting money under the mattress, putting cash under the mattress and, you know, buying gold bonds and God knows what else. And that actually, think about it, was kind of the original idea of where, uh, where Bitcoin came from. You know, we, we can't trust this. But, but I mean, in the end, you've got to believe that the dollar is a dollar, right? And then if you have it in the bank, it's going to be the bank. And you can, there are any number of companies who are doing layoffs, running out of actual money by spending their cash, you know, doing, having, having, making losses, rest of it. Who are you know, in the digital health world and outside of the digital health world who are going to be struggling without this being another thing once this happens is macroeconomic and it is the job of the government to stamp it out and yes you can argue about well you know those guys did those guys didn't lose their money but the people who who were going to have their student loans resume you know redeemed didn't get them or whatever you can make all the arguments about that but in the end um that we know what happened in the 1930s when you had a series of bank runs and the economy collapsed so can't happen again that's great. And we have a, a comment from someone named Handel who talks about how, you know, why did it matter so much they put their money in 10 year treasury bonds? And so but part of the answer to that uh, is that um, those bonds decline in value when inflation rises, so long as that inflation is persistent, not transitory. And those bonds decline in value if uh, if interest rates go up. And both of those happened, causing those bonds to go down in value. And so it didn't look like a risky thing when Silicon Valley Bank began to do it in the early 2020s. 
Um, and at that time, the Fed was saying, if you recall, that inflation was transitory and that it would not raise rates. It was guiding to not raising rates. Um, so it didn't look risky and it had not raised rates in a long time. Um, and the story of the of interest rates over the past 50 years had been declining interest rates. Um, and so they were caught unaware when when inflation turned out to be persistent and high and when uh, the Fed did raise rates, uh, you know, unexpectedly and dramatically. And that made the bank's uh, numbers look like it was going insolvent, basically. Uh, so that, that, that's the quick answer to that. So now I wanted to move on to some, some trade news, uh, Matthew. So one is that uh, women's health startup Iron Health uh, launched with a $4.5 million fundraise, and they were built at Redesign Health, which I think is an incubator in New York City. So it's nice to see a relatively new incubator working, doing things. And the lead investor, I think, was March of Dimes Innovation Fund, um, or at least that was the named investor. So two things about this. First of all, there's not a lot of fundraisers in digital health. Um, and then here you have one that is coming out of an incubator, but is not being led by a famous Series A investor. Um, I'm glad to see it, uh, and I had not really seen the March of Dimes Innovation Fund playing much in digital health. I'm glad they are, um, but I don't think that this breaks our drought. I, I think this is, you know, an unusual fundraise and good for them, but I don't think it breaks our drought. Do you, any, do you see any significance to this? Um, to this fundraise? Uh, not to this particular one so much. Uh, the main, you know, the, the main issue has been, and you've seen this, you know, I'm sure you talked about this on the show, is that the really big series. C, D, E, you know, hundred million, multi-hundred million dollar raises that folks like Tiger and Katui and, you know, uh, SoftBank, as me and Jess used to call SoftBank money, um, you know, those have gone away, right? Because they cannot, those companies cannot raise at that level. And so those companies are the ones doing the massive layoffs, right? You know, like Olive, uh, through the other poster childs, you know, who, who laid off a lot more people. Now, obviously now being followed by public companies who are desperately trying to, uh, you know, um, increase their profitability and, you know, get rid of some of the fluff they've added during the, uh, the, the pandemic. And that goes for Facebook and Amazon as, as well. And, and even, even Google did some, right. Um, Google, a lot of the, a lot of Google health people <laughs> to, uh, who are now appearing in my LinkedIn saying, Hey, can I, can I talk as though I could help them? Um, so I think, you know, there have though been still some, you know, there's still been some funding uh, events and we, I think are looking like we are, in the zone of where we were in 2019, probably 2020, uh, early 2020, <clears throat> not where we were in 2021, which is just crazy. Right? So then also Weight Watchers purchased telehealth platform Weekend Health, also called Sequence, for $106 million with an angle there on the obesity drug market. So this is really interesting. And, and to see Weight Watchers as a consolidator in you know, in maybe we could call this the, the consumer or the provider uh, sector. It's great to see Weight Watchers doing this. Of course, you know, Weight Watchers is a company, an old school company that really missed the digital health revolution. You had 100 apps or more on the Apple App Store saying they did what Weight Watchers does in their retail stores for free. Uh, the, the apps were free and Weight Watchers could not figure out for the longest time how to respond to that. And now they seem to be getting into uh, you know, a telehealth platform that helps prescribe obesity drugs. Um, I'm glad to see Weight Watchers, you know, um, you know, uh, uh, stepping up and acting as a consolidator. Do you have any thoughts on on this? 
only, only that Weight Watchers, you know, has, has got this great name and it's still got a sort of great, great uh, community around it. And as a business, it's been, you know, absolutely in the toilet for a while. I think the market cap of Weight Watchers, you know, uh, its its stock is now in the, is, you know, four or five and uh, it's, you know, down 100, it's down 95% since, and this is from sort of like 2018, right? And even before that, if you go if you go way further back, there were times when it, it did okay, and then it really got got crunched when things like uh, my fitness pal came out, as you mentioned. So, you know, the question is, uh, 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 with this kind of uh, investment, are they are they liable to come? Are they liable to come back? That's sort of an investment question. I have no, no idea what the answer is. The other thing I'd, I'd say here is that, you know, uh, I don't think he's caught the Oscars, right? Um, uh, Jimmy Kimmel saying, I think his impact might be right for me, right? So, so the, the fact that these new GLP drugs, which, you know, um, they're now getting into, the fact these drugs are, you know, very expensive, it's a big question as to who's going to end up paying for them. Um, but they're obviously, you know, really revolutionary in terms of actually doing what, frankly, organizations like Weight Watchers and attempts to change diet and exercise have never done, right? Which is actually give people, have people, uh, you know, take weight off and keep it off. Presumably they keep taking the drug, that is. Um, you know, it, it, it's really something we haven't really figured out. And there are a lot of people now talking about obesity being, you know, obesity being this, uh, uh, you know, a, a, a curable, curable disease. Now these drugs, on the other hand, cost, you know, 10, 12 grand a year. So it's not something that everybody, all of us who have a few more pounds on could just take and assume it's okay, um, or if we do, God knows what happens to the drug, the overall drug budget for the, for, for the US. But I think, um, you know, Weight Watchers in itself is not rich enough and big enough to do a lot of this stuff, but it can do enough to compete. That's great. And then uh, Cerebral announced its third round of layoffs within the last 12 months, and Accolade announced it's cutting uh, its workforce as well. So th this is just, this continues a trend. Uh, you know, we're seeing... Uh, you know, uh, old hands and investors are telling young digital health companies uh, to make their existing money last two years, um, and they're telling them to belt tighten. Uh, and uh, and some did, some didn't, uh, and we're seeing companies continue to so to belt tighten. I think we're still in you know an investment, a, you know, a relative investment drought, especially compared to 2021, and still in a time of of down rounds. Um, so, uh, sorry, not, not down rounds, but I meant there, but of downsizes. Um, is, that, is that what you see as well? Yeah, I mean, obviously. And there, there are some specific issues, right? There are, there are companies like, so Cerebral doesn't have the business it had because it got out of the business for, for a bunch of reasons we have to go into. It got out of that business. So uh, I think that's that's one issue. But in general, there are a lot of companies that are saying, how can we make, uh, make money last longer? And if you look at, for example, on, on the chat group, Health Tech Nerds, which I know you're, you're on as well as me, ton of different um, people, you know, coming. It used to be just job ads, job ads, job ads. And now it's a lot of people saying, oh, I got laid off here, I got laid off there. I'm looking for my, you know, I'm looking for my next gig. There are still job ads. There are still people getting jobs. It's just, you know, um, and if you look at the overall employment in the country, it's doing, the employment is doing okay. You know, um, unemployment is, is still very, very low. However, Clearly, we're going to see a lot of turnover. A lot of the, the people who were taken on in some of that sort of irrational exuberance are now <laughs> have, have lost their position. So, yeah. That's great. And we have a question from Yash who asks, um, would this serve as a catalyst to accelerate consolidation? Um, so I think that to put that in perspective, um, 
digital health has been through sort of the greatest time in its history. It was reborn with the name digital health, uh, but it, it dates to the financial crisis of 2008 to 9. Also, the um, uh, the uh, meaningful use subsidy of 2009 to 10 and, and beyond, etc. Um, but uh, it, it caused a lot of entrepreneurs to move into digital health. Low interest rates caused huge amounts of money to be raised to invest in digital health. And you saw entry of companies into digital health and you saw very high valuations starting after that financial crisis and continuing. And I was a sell side analyst on Wall Street looking at this and consolidation was always lower than expected. And multiple analysts, including myself, would say we expect consolidation to increase. And it, it didn't. It was consolidation was less than we, we felt it was less than the B2C sector, less than the B2B sector of, of software companies. It was the opposite. It was a time of entry, not a time of consolidation into digital health for, for a long time. And probably that was for a couple of reasons. The first was that um, that the valuations were so high. We often saw digital health companies with, with, with the literally the highest valuations in the stock market. So at various times, Castlight, Viva, Medidata, and others had the highest valuations in the stock market. Um, and so big consolidators would say, I can't make that work on an accretive basis for acquiring that company. And I, I don't want to overpay. Um, and so uh, that was one reason that there weren't a lot of, of uh, acquisitions. Another was that it just takes so long for young, young companies to get to revenue and then scale that revenue that big companies would say, well, I want to buy a company with a lot of revenue. And these young digital health companies have high price, but not a lot of revenue. So there was always under consolidation. Then in 2021, that was an exceptional year for a lot of reasons. And we saw a lot of consolidation there. Um, and now it's, it's back to low levels in 2022 and 2023 for the sector. So what I think will be different in the future is number one, um, that I think valuations will come down and that will cause consolidators to say, okay, I can now reasonably buy some of these companies. Um, in addition with the post pandemic, there used to be a lot of doubt that the software way of doing things was the future, that it would, it would, its movements would be slow and it would encounter a lot of obstacles and it wouldn't necessarily be the future. But with the pandemic, we're seeing that the more automated software ways of doing things are now accepted. People accept that the digital health way is going to be the way of the future um, and the valuations will be lower. Um, uh, and so um, with, those, with those in, in hand, I, I think you will see more consolidations and that's what this show is about. But uh, but there's all other reasons why, because of higher interest rates, I think you won't see just a massive, irrationally high level of consolidations either. So, Matthew, any, any thoughts on that sort of overview of the topic? Yeah, I think the, the, the bigger issue, the biggest issue you mentioned is, is, is in the end, um, you know, there, is com there are two reasons to buy a company. One is for product extension, that you as a consolidator think that you can get re drive revenue from your existing client base with or take over clients. Um, or there's buying revenue, right? So as you mentioned, buying revenue is being incredibly expensive because a lot of these companies were hyped up, didn't have that much revenue, didn't have that many clients, you know, in the end. Uh, second is, and the second issue is, a lot of the, pro at that price, you could build the product, right? So if you look at a really big consolidator like an Optum, they've done a lot of building internally. Well, they've bought, bought very small companies, but they haven't bought, you know, second and third stage uh, series C and D companies or early public companies that, I mean, they to, but they bought, built for either bought small companies or they built the stuff themselves because it's a build by equation at some point, you know, it's cheaper to build it. Um, so I, I think that it, it's uh, over, overall, 
the companies that have got into the flow of healthcare that are generating revenue. I mean, the big, you know, a big one they got bought, right? Sony got bought by, by, by Oracle. But most of the fuss around digital health has been, are we going to see the healthcare system change? This new generation of companies come along. And they really struggle to get to the point where they are the, even looking like they might be the new generation of companies. And for those of us who've been hanging out like you and me, especially me, with my great beard, been hanging out in this space for a long time. It's been incredibly frustrating seeing how long it's taken, you know, for these companies to even get off the ground and how much, how long it's taken for even modest adoption and some of these things to happen. Whereas healthcare has stayed doing what it's always doing with all the money being in specialty pharma, big pharma, specialty devices, hospitals, specialists, you know, um, that part of the, that part, some of like nursing homes and all this, that part of the segment. So my, my sense is, is that it doesn't make a lot of sense for sort of the, the mass scale consolidation um, that we're expecting to happen until kind of a lot of the, uh, if you like, a lot of the, the exuberance has gone away. That probably means a lot of the companies that raise a ton of money spending it or kind of giving up. And so, uh, and someone's asking, what about the SDB fiasco? Is that going to prompt consolidation? And I would say, you know, if, if this had gone to the state of companies uh, having an acute liquidity crisis and not being able to get their hands on their cash, um, you might have seen some select acquisitions, either of whole companies or of companies, you know, who are sold as, as assets. Uh, 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 but what's happened is that the Fed and the Treasury have backstopped Silicon Valley Bank and others, those companies can now get their hands on their cash immediately. And so it doesn't, um, it, it, it's, it's, it's not prompting consolidation other than, you know, the potential to get people thinking about down rounds, um, which in turn, down rounds of valuation, which in turn um, could lead to their being acquired at a reasonable price. So that, that's just some, some thoughts about that. So um, I thought I would go into, I'm going to go into a macro update because the macro update is, is underpinning the fact that a lot of lead investors aren't leading, they're sitting on the sidelines right now. And what would it take them to get back into the act of leading since they have raised money and need to put it to work and they're sort of waiting. And so to, so first is, is touching base on valuation levels. So the most recent SAS capital index for the end of February is that the median valuation level for B2B SAS companies is about 7.2 times forward next 12 months revenue. That's the useful metric to think of about 7.2 times. And that's steady from the prior month. So we've seen relatively steady valuations. Um, uh, and uh, here I'm, I'm referencing the work uh, of, of David Sachs, uh, who, who is, and also of the SAS Capital Index as well, looking at these, these valuation uh, numbers. So in January, that was the bottom. Uh, we saw these same companies trading at four to five times multiple of next 12 months revenue. Um, the long-term median uh, for these companies it has been about eight times. So right now at 7.2 times, we're pretty close to the long-term median. Um, and then in uh, 2021, the median rose to 16 times forward revenue, which is just astonishing. And we were living during those times when those valuations were so high and compare today's 7.2 times to, to 16 times just two years ago. Um, and then the, the highest they've ever been for very fast growing companies and some digital health companies got to this level is 30 to 35 times forward revenue. So we've seen companies 
that were fast growing digital health companies go from trading at 30 times forward revenue down in, in January to, to five times. The, the, the contraction has just been an effective, you know, multiple contraction that's just almost unheard of if you think about that. So, um, and now, you know, uh, fast growing companies in B2B SaaS are now trading at about eight to 12 times. Um, uh, so a fast growing digital health company today, you know, might, you know, might be able to claim that it's that it could trade at about eight to 12 times uh, today. So that's just an overview of some valuation levels and, and comparing them to the B2B sector, which has a lot more companies, a lot more transparent, a lot more understood than public digital health, health companies. So next is uh, financial markets. So the NASDAQ has been bearish for the last month. Uh, it's currently in the 11,000 range. Um, and this can, it, its bearishness continues to be a negative signal for digital health valuations of public companies and also private companies. Um, so the IPO window. So this week, uh, Jason Calacanis called the opening of the IPO window in tech um, with signals that Instacart, the grocery delivery app, and Arm, the semiconductor company, are preparing to go public. Um, so the IPO window has been closed for over five quarters. Um, and the fact that we've got some companies preparing to IPO in tech, and we've got some, you know, analysts and journalists calling the opening of the IPO market, that's a good sign. Because the way this could play out for digital health uh, is that first, some tech companies go out and IPO and are successful in the market, make money for investors, the appetite enlarges, um, and then some digital health companies could go out and IPO. Uh, and then some of those deals like the Series C and the $100 million Series D and the crossover round and the IPO of digital health companies, those can start happening again. Those are sort of frozen and stopped right now. So, Matt, what, what do you think? Uh, so any any thoughts on what I've just gone over and well, uh, the IPO windows opening? Maybe. I mean, Jason kind of, you know, can be a bit of an optimist. Uh, and I don't see a lot of appetite for this because the collapse in valuation of SaaS companies has been for all SaaS companies, you know, not just digital health, right? So, <laughs> um, you know, if you look from the, the, the heights for sort of Snowflake and Coinbase and, you know, even even the private companies like Stripe or whatever, they've all been marked down considerably. So, you know, there's a lot of stuff to buy for investors before you start thinking about new IPOs. Now, with the exception of the startup AI companies, where there's a lot of excitement, a lot of investment going in because of, you know, is this a radically new technology which is going to change the world? If you put that to one side, um, there's a whole ton of companies, you know, who went IPO relatively recently, the last few years, who are trading way, way off their highs. Now, take that to digital health. There's a whole ton. Every digital health company is trading way off its highs. Many of them are trading at, you know, pennies to where they were they went out the door and are in that sort of market caps of the sort of 100 to 200, 300 million range. A lot of them, especially the ones that were SPACs, you know, pick a Kiwi, for example, I think is something like 80% of it off it's where it, where it went out the door. So it seems to me that, you know, you can be optimistic this stuff's going to come back, but there's a lot of, uh, I don't say fuss, there's a lot of st you know, stuff to be got out the way first, right? And most of those companies, you know, are not showing... You know, they, they came out the door with the intention of having great revenue growth or what have you, whether it be in the startup health plan phase, like a Clover or an Oscar or a, or a Bright, or in, uh, you know, or in the digital therapeutic stuff like a Keeley or, or Pear. 
And they're all, a lot, I mean, I saw that Akili now has revenue that it went, Akili's revenue tripled last year and went to like 300, up to two, $300,000. I mean, you know, we're not talking, we're not talking reliable repeat businesses with huge revenue and, and EBIT. So I don't know. So when you've got that lot around, if I go back to, you know, my youth, well, not quite my youth, but a while ago, that the post.com bust, right? It took a long time for that all to clear out, right? It really was, you know, essentially the end of 2001 through to the end of 2004, when finally Google went public because you discovered a new technology company, which was profitable, was producing revenue very quickly, was growing quickly, was producing, you know, had got a business model that worked. So I think we're going to have to see, you know, what is the business model that works for these companies across the board? And it's going to be, it's still very tough to see, partly because the, com the companies they're selling into, I mean, health plans are doing fine. But hospitals, who are the most money in America, who, sp who traditionally spend the most money on technology and have made companies like Cerner and Epic very successful and rich, they're in trouble, right? Hospitals are having a worse time revenue-wise and profitability-wise than they've had for some time. The CARES money, which sustained them through the early part of the pandemic, is now being switched off. They still have issues with very expensive workforces, um, you know, uh, hard for them to get nurses. Nurses are still very, very expensive, et cetera, et cetera. So it's, I don't immediately see where this, where, you know, where the quote unquote easy money, easy business model is going to come from. That's going to sort of get, sort out the, the current IPO folks, the, the folks who are currently IPO'd and get the, the, the rest of digital health or even health technology companies into, you know, a good business format where you can easily start seeing a lot of, IPOs and a lot more, you know, public market investment. The one area that might be different is there's still a lot of investment around sort of pharma analytics. Um, and then as I mentioned, AI, but I'm not sure I know what I'm not sure I know what AI means in terms of healthcare, other than the sort of the you know the underlying GPT type companies. And we have a question from Dave who asks, uh, we've, received, we've received recent conflicting guidance from prospective investors to focus on selling to payers or providers. Is your impression that uh, one or the other is superior over the next five to 10 years in route to a billion dollar valuation? So uh, I, I actually talk about the different subsectors of digital health and their budgets, uh, the budgets of the buyer communities a lot. And what I'd say is that the uh, the employer buyer is uh, which is the progressive large employer especially they are doing great uh, they believe that digital health solutions work in general and give them a return and uh, a financial return but also a return in the form of giving a, a unique value proposition to their employees and helping with morale and, 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 and attracting and retaining talent as well uh, and help them bend the medical trend they don't like that they're on the hook to pay for employees' health care, but these tools that are sold to them by vendors like a Omada or a Teladoc uh, help them bend that medical trend down a little bit as compared to other employers. So the trouble with that budget is that uh, it's overcrowded, overprospected, and very difficult to, to, to sell, uh, newly sell to it uh, unless you hire outstanding salespeople who are already selling to it. Um, then there's also payers as well. There's programmatic, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, programs that are very similar to the employer programs to payers, um, and then uh, and that budget is also relatively uh, good as well. And then and then there's the hospital budget, the 
the provider budget, the health system, and the and the medical practice, uh, and they're in a lot of budget pain right now. Uh, and they're, um, you know, that they're they are they are, um, and in addition, the big EMRs are acting as blockers. And so, if you have a wonderful clinical decision support tool, you have to figure out how to how to sell it to hospitals uh, through. And, you know, and get around Epic and Cerner, who may be acting as 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 you know semi friendly blockers uh, in that case. Uh, but the, but hospitals are in a big budget crunch with a lot of changed priorities that don't necessarily include uh, digital health software as their priorities. But what I would look to in the hospital budget is um, they've underinvested in revenue cycle management, and so as long as you are showing a, a really good cash return in twelve months on revenue cycle management, the there's an opportunity there and also uh, cybersecurity as well, uh, which is usually companies from outside of digital health are selling that software, but they're, but they're spending more on cybersecurity as well. So those are two areas with hospitals, but on a two, I usually have two year outlook. So on a two year outlook, I would, I would expect this to remain the same uh, employers and health plan payers. Um, that's a great budget to sell into. And the provider budget is not a great budget to sell into. And you're asking for five to 10 years, you know, that that far out, I think it's going to still remain the same, although it's, it's much harder to say when you go more than two years out. I think it was, you know, Yogi Berra who said that predictions are hard, especially about the future. So, um, Matt, do you have any, any comment on those thoughts? Yes, predictions are hard. <laughs> the, the only thing I'd say is that my impression is that health plans excuse me, are still not really quite ready to buy what I would call digital health services that are kind of stamped and repeatable. There's a lot of customization for any health plan, which ends up that any deal with a health plan tends to be something that, you know, takes a long time to get into, gets very customized, and it's hard to reproduce. So you do see some health plans who have done deals with particular digital health companies, but you don't see the digital health companies sort of managing and going to sell 20 of them, right? So I'm thinking about, you know, there's a company called um, League, which sold to sold some stuff to Highmark, hasn't really done else, elsewhere. There's, you know, um, uh, our friends at, uh, at uh, um, ShareCare, you know, sold to one or two health plans, haven't sold to like 20 or 30. It just seems to be that, that seems to be very problematic. So, um, Whereas hospitals, you know, there's there's less need for customization, but they are a tough business at the moment to get into. But if you eventually can figure out the right way into the revenue stream. Sorry, I clearly have some car issues going on there. Um, if you can figure out the right way into the revenue stream, uh, then uh, you, know, you can get in there for a while with a hospital. It's just, it is, it is tough, but they are where the money is eventually, right? You can look at the two biggest, most successful healthcare uh, IT companies for recent decades, and is the Epic and Center itself hospitals. So, and then um, we've had a CPI print came in uh, yesterday at six point zero percent, which I think was was hotter than expected, indicating that people that we still have to worry about inflation. Inflation has not been conquered. At the same time, uh, the Fed's act of raising rates has triggered this contagious banking crisis that we're seeing in the US and Europe. Uh, and so um, uh, I think on Sunday, Goldman made a call that uh, instead of raising rates by 0.25 or 0.5 on, uh, so that the next Fed 
meeting ends on March 22nd when they usually make an announcement. And so instead of raising it by 25 basis points or 50 basis points, Goldman made a call they're going to raise rates by zero um, basis points. And that's very significant and interesting because you've got a lot of digital health venture investors who are sitting on the sidelines, lead investors who are not leading uh, because of uncertainty, because of trying to find the bottom in terms of pricing. And that signal that the Fed has stopped raising rates, uh, you know, could mean that they're not going to raise rates more, which could then kick off both stock market lift and also uh, venture investors starting to invest in digital health companies again. So uh, uh, Matt, I don't know what you think of the, the CPI print and uh, Goldman's call that the Fed's not going to raise rates at all at their next meeting. And I think a lot of people were either speculating or hoping that inflation was tr truly transitory based on supply chain issues. Um, and that the Fed, you know, the Fed wouldn't have to do much. And I think people would be very gun shy, even if they don't raise rates anymore. I mean, I think we'll be looking for eventually real science inflation really is going away and the lower interest rates are going to come. And I don't see them yet. So I, I you know, I, I'm no, not one for the stock market is still at reasonable historic highs in terms of PE and, and in terms of just its overall level. Um, if you get rid of the irrational exuberance of the last couple of years where there was essentially free money out there and all these crazy IPOs. And as, as Matt Levine from Bloomberg says, you know, people gambling on the stock market for fun because they couldn't go out. <laughs> so it, it, it seems to me that you've got, I don't know, uh, 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 a long way to go before you can start saying things are going to come back. So I'm going to try to speed things up because we, we actually haven't gotten to the meat of our discourse, which is, which is breaking down the digital health market and looking at consolidators in the market. But I'll just summarize. So Vive is coming up uh, for a $2,600 ticket in Nashville, March 26th to 29th, uh, sponsored by Chime and HLTH. Uh, and so this is a conference for um, digital health companies that sell into provider markets. Um, and it's also a conference where it wasn't particularly big in the past, but now it's being sort of reborn post-pandemic. Uh, and HLTH has been outstanding at getting young company leaders and investors there. They've been less good at getting uh, large company um, buyers and corporate development executives there. And so I would say this is a great investor conference to go to um, for young digital health companies that are raising money from investors because the investors will be there. Um, and it's also fun. Uh, uh, and so that's Vive. Uh, in Nashville. Then HIMSS Global is coming up. So HIMSS Global is also focused on the hospital CIO budget very specifically in Chicago, April 17th to 21st. Um, I've just been increasingly less impressed by HIMSS. I used to go and lead booth tours of investors at HIMSS. Um, uh, you know, uh, so uh, it's it, it, you don't see the key person to meet there is the hospital CIO as a buyer, and it's just harder and harder to get those. So you're spending this huge amount of money to present at Hims, and it's harder and harder to meet the hospital CIO there. So I'm a little less impressed with Hims. That that's in Chicago, April seventeenth to twenty first for a thirteen hundred dollar ticket. Matt, any thoughts on, are you going to either of these and any thoughts uh, on So I'm going to go, thing? I'm going to go to HIMSS. I'm not going to vibe this year. I just I'm going to pick one of the two, just in terms of timing and, and stuff. I'd normally would have gone to both, but uh, 
Uh, and I thought Vibe last year was very, very interesting. It was a lot of fun. It was in Miami, which is a great place to go. Not, not as something wrong with Nashville. Um, I have heard from the Vibe, from the HLTH and Vibe folks, they're expecting a big lift in attendance. They say they're going to get 7,000 people this year, which would be pretty remarkable for like the, the, the conference. It is very hard to distinguish Vibe from HLTH, from health, right? Uh, it's very similar. There is in the corner somewhere the, the, the Chime CIO types. I never saw any of them and didn't catch much of them. There were some of the companies who would typically sell to them at, at uh, HIMSS did show up and exhibit, you know, Epic was there and some others who wouldn't normally be in health, but it, it, it was not quite health to me. You know, it was too similar to me to, 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 to be any difference other than, you know, it was, it was, it was, it was fun as a good time. And there was some interesting, interesting stuff. And, and there are all investors there. Um, I will go and give him, you know, I've got to be nice to him because they did buy my company. <laughs> they buy health 2.0, which I cannot complain about, although they don't, you know, they, they now let the brand expire and now some other scammers have taken it over. But, but um, they, you know, it's the first time back. It's in Chicago, which is usually a big conference for them. The last time they had it in Chicago a long time ago, it had a lot more people. It was a really big bump in attendance. So I think it'd be interesting to see what's going on. But as we mentioned, you know, that world, the hospital world is not doing so well. And, you know, they now have this very active competitor, which has really come after them for a lot of the, the, the smaller companies in a way that, you know, Health Tuber never quite did, and even if they did, they bought us. To st- they bought it to stop to stop us having a real go in that part. But health has been very successful. Health and Vibe have been very successful. So yeah, and and also I noticed that Health 2.0 conference. It's July 10th to 12th in Las it's Vegas. A it's a scam, um, Stephen. It's a scam. <laughs> you are the founder of Health 2.0. So someone has someone has come in and scooped this up. Who's not who's not a party uh, to you? So so Hims has failed to protect the uh, the trademark they bought. So Hims ran Health 2.0 after they bought it from us for three years. When the pandemic hit, they didn't, they, they changed the brand name to Accelerate, which was for Hims a bit of a disaster. They started a, a, an online service called Accelerate, which does not done well. Um, and uh, meanwhile, a bunch of guys in India picked, pulled up this Health 2.0 brand and attempted to create it, but it's, it's not a real conference. <laughs> So, and then uh, personal appearances. So I have a lot, but I'm going to skip most of these. I'll just mention that I have a drinks night coming up tomorrow in Boston, uh, Thursday, March 16th at Pagu Market in Cambridge, uh, a 15 minute walk from Kendall Square Tea Stop. Uh, and we're going to have guest of honor, Jonathan Sheffy, who was Google Cloud's healthcare lead. And he'll be talking about solving pharma data overwhelm. So if you'd like to join us, visit my Eventbrite page at stephenwardell.eventbrite.com and sign up for that. Um, and uh, so, Matthew, any other um, any personal appearances by you? You'll be at Hims, uh, and you have your own show tomorrow. So. Uh, well, I mean, yes. I mean, you can find me online all over the place. But the Healthcare Blog, uh, which is my uh, blog, has a little TCB gang, which you were on last week, and has a regular crowd. And we'll have a, a one o'clock on a uh, one o'clock Pacific, same time as this. Actually, one o'clock Pacific, four o'clock Eastern. We uh, every, every week, every uh, week, we have a, a fun chat show, which then becomes a podcast as well. So yes, come 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 take a look at that. That's great. So um, now kicking off the, the the main topic of consolidators. Uh, so as I mentioned before, consolidation in digital health has been less than other sectors, less than B two B, less than B two C. Uh, but it's been the opposite. It's been a story of entry uh, since um, since meaningful use uh, in two thousand nine, since uh, the global the great financial crisis in two thousand eight to nine. Uh, it's been a it's been a story of entry and high valuations 
uh, and also companies, you know, that have taken longer than expected to get to revenue. Um, and so what's different now is that valuations are coming down. And so I think you will see a step up in consolidation, but it won't get crazy, unfortunately, for, for our companies. Um, uh, and uh, I, I think the, the best way to think about this is that there's three kinds of consolidators. The first consolidator is the incumbent. So you, if you are an EMR selling to a hospital, there's a chance that a hospital could buy you, for example. So the incumbents are hospitals, health plans, uh, pharma manufacturers, distributors. Those are the, the main healthcare incumbents. So for example, HCA bought Patient Keeper, where I used to work as an example, which was a mobile electronic medical record company. Um, the next category is innovators as consolidators. So these are companies that just five or 10 years ago were themselves young tech companies, and now they're big enough that they have acquired companies. And so this is like uh, Athena Health uh, acquiring Hippocrates or Teladoc acquiring Livongo um, or Viva doing acquisitions. And so these are the innovators, large innovators um, who are themselves consolidators. And the third is big tech. And so here you've got companies like Apple and big tech in general, their board is always telling them to get into healthcare. So you've got Apple, you've got Microsoft, which bought, um, Nuance, uh, you've got um, you know Oracle, which bought Cerner, you've got Google, which bought Fitbit and and co-created on Duo, um, you've got uh, other uh, companies in this area. You've got Salesforce is, is always poking around to do something in healthcare, um, and so those are the three categories of consolidator. Any thoughts on my, my setup here, uh, Matthew? Yeah, sorry. No, I'm, I'm looking for the Zoom mic button. I'm on a different system. So I think you're about right. There's a little bit of a, of a weird thing going on, right, which is where the, the, the big consolidators within healthcare, right, um, so the, the, the ones you're seeing now particularly, I mean, you mentioned Amazon, but obviously the, the, the health plan conglomerates, whether it be CVS, um, the, provide, the, the pharmacy providers, Walgreens and CVS, of course, um, and Optum, as well as the other health plans and others, who are all buying bits and pieces, are kind of doing a, uh, a kind of imitating what's going on in the, in the venture world, which is they're building sort of tech-enabled service companies as opposed, to, as opposed to just picking up technology. And so they're buying new types of medical groups, right? You've seen activity from obviously Optum and, and CBS in that, in, that, in that world a lot. Um, which is a little bit different than some of the other acquisitions, which are sort of more like for like or product fill-ins or whatever. You know, you could say if I've seen health buying Hippocrates or one of those things back in the day was. So I think that it depends a little bit how the market shakes out, right? So if you look at the the big picture of the healthcare market, um, are typical provider organizations, you know, regional provider chains, the ones who are merging with each other, like Atrium and Advocate, or uh, I think it was another deal just the other day, I forget who it was. But the big regional provider chains, are they gonna stay doing what they're doing? Or are they really gonna be threatened by the incursions of, whether it's Amazon or Medical, which I don't think is a threat, or Optum, which is a much more bigger threat, or, you know, uh, a CVS, Oak Street or whatever. Um, if they are, then I suspect they will actually become an interesting uh, type of potential acquirer because they'll have to change their business models quite a lot. Um, 
on the other hand, if the you know if the answer is it's it's you know the the main provider state kind of how they are, um, then I think they'll they'll you know you'll see some activity in the plans and you'll see some activity in these these big consolidators, but more likely you'll see kind of integration and, and mergers amongst the people who are selling to the big provider groups, which is the way the Microsoft Nuance thing comes from, or the Oracle Center thing comes from, or other people looking to wait the way to get into high revenue companies in that space. The only big problem there is the biggest, highest revenue, most profitable, dominant company in the whole space is not for sale because Judy Fulmer won't let it be. So I don't know I don't know how that plays out, you know, especially in some next generation of, of Epic, but it it may just stay this weird independent thing in the middle. And we have a question from the audience. Um, so back to the topic of consolidation in 2001 to two and 2008 to nine, we saw many venture funded pre-revenue or low revenue companies um, lose funding and desperately run to seek a buyer, a sort of a private market catching a falling knife scenario. Uh, a number of sectors like digital mental health have many such companies now from the past few years of frenetic investing. Do you see this type of dynamic forming? Has it already begun? Um, so I think the pieces are definitely in place. So you had a very generous funding environment until five or six quarters ago. Um, and now that has really, um, you know, uh, pulled in. And unless you're in a favored area, it's, it's, it's very hard to raise money right now. Uh, and as I say, a lot of venture investors are sitting on the sidelines, uh, waiting for the public markets to find bottom and waiting for the Fed to stop raising rates. Uh, and that has caused companies to, to burn a lot of their cash, not have a lot of cash left. And definitely, if you're a consolidator, you know, if you're Teladoc uh, you, or some other known consolidator, you are hearing from young companies who are calling to check in, calling to explicitly say, uh, you know, buy me, uh, et cetera. So, uh, it, it, there, so that there de definitely has been, um, as people continue to wonder when, the generous VC funding tap will be turned back on. Uh, a lot of companies have begun to think about selling themselves to consolidators. So, Matthew, are, are you seeing similar things? The only difference there is that, fun enough, in mental health, there have been a couple of big uh, rounds recently, right? So, Google's in first hand, and there was another one. There was some, you know, fifty million dollar plus first, for, uh, and it seems to me that you know, mental health has seen its first big collapse, which is Mindstream. Mindstream, Mindstrong. Mind strong, you know, uh, going out of business, having gone, having burned through 150 million. Seems seems to me that the the Jay Sam's question is is dead right. You know, we're going to see a lot of these people, a lot of these companies have got to get get out of the way, go away, and yeah, some of them will some of them will get sold at, at for parts, and some of them will close. Um, and we've already you know you're already seeing that starting that starting to happen. Because there are just too many, right? And you're eventually going to have market leaders emerge. And in mental health, you can start to see seven or eight market leaders, and yet there are nearly a thousand companies across the board. So, seems to me you've got a lot of different, um, you know, a lot, a lot of different options for people who want to take out, you know, get into the space, use these tools, use these tools, get get hold of these companies, whether buying them out of bankruptcy, you know, starting to use them for 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 uh, different purposes but you're not going to see you know a massive increase in the space if you clear out some of the dead wood so i agree that you know but it's not just consolidation it's also going to be you know companies going out of business and that's that's okay that's part of capitalism all right so now we get into the subsectors of digital health i'm going to go through these subsectors so 
The first is digital health benefits. That is software and tech companies that sell software and tech products into the employer healthcare budget. And this is often the progressive large employer is one of the top buyers here. Um, and then there's digital, the digital payer category. So this is software and tech companies that sell software and tech into uh, health plans and other uh, payer organizations. And there's consumer digital health. This is software and tech companies that sell to the consumer budget. Um, healthcare IT, this is software and tech companies that sell into the provider uh, technology budgets, including uh, health systems and uh, medical practices. Um, then there's the pharma tech uh, sector, which is software and tech companies that sell into the various budgets of pharma and life science companies, like the commercial budget, the clinical budget, and the infrastructure budget there. Then there's tech enabled services. That is software and tech companies that are selling care instead of selling uh, software subscriptions or licenses. Um, and then there's digital diagnostics and therapeutics. So hitting the first one of those digital health benefits, software and tech companies selling into uh, the employer healthcare budget. This is companies like Teladoc, Livongo, Accolade, Omada, Castlight, Health Equity. Um, and here, um, there's many of these companies and there's many possible buyers. There is the ERP and HR tech sector, which includes like SAP, Microsoft, Oracle, Fidelity, HSA Bank, Optum Bank, Workday, ADP, Cornerstone On Demand, et cetera. There's um, leading benefit consultancies that sometimes acquire young companies like Willis Towers Watson, Marsh McClellan Mercer, Buck Aon Hewitt. Um, there are um, health plans play in this space like Optum United uh, and uh, CVS Aetna and Cigna. Um, big tech plays in this space like Amazon. Um, and uh, so the, the, those are some of the, and then, there, then there's also the, the innovators themselves who've grown big enough to become acquirers like Teladoc, ShareCare, eVive and others. So uh, Matthew, any, uh, do you, you know, any, any others to add here? And do any stand out here as uh, top uh, consolidators? I see this dynamic here as being potentially quite strong. Um, I think the buyers here are known for being rational buyers who will sometimes buy the second or third company in the space, but not the first, so it's not to overpay, at least in, in, during the boom times. Um, you know, are, are, what, what, are, what do you think about this sector and the possible um, consolidators in this sector? Uh, I think it's gonna be interesting to figure out if some of the people who are adjacent to that sector, I'm thinking about uh, I'm thinking about um, JP Morgan, right, which has already bought Castlight, uh, bought a company, which is now, I forget the name of the company they, they bought, which is a medical group. And it's kind of very interested in figuring out if, they, if there's a play there to provide to their own employees and other employers. Um, Cheryl Pegas from, uh, from uh, uh, Walmart went over there. So I think there might be some interesting ones. It's hard for me to see really, you know, you'll see a few pickups. And you already saw that in kind of the groups who are, and maybe you already mentioned these guys, maybe you're going to get to them, that the, the accolades and the, uh, the accolades and the transparency who are either well-funded privately or, you know, small, but alive public companies buying in the accolades case, plush care. And they bought, um, they bought second MD and transparent just last week bought, uh, half of 98.6 of the medical group, part of 98.6, but, to me, I, I don't know if a Towers, you know, a Towers or, 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 or a Mercer, you know, becomes a massive acquirer and does a lot more than it does. They might buy small things here and there. Um, I don't, I, you know, maybe there's some activity in that, that sector, but I don't, I don't see a massive amount, is my guess. 
So, um, and I, I, I think I see certain companies like a Transcarent, a Teladoc, and an, an Omada um, trying to put together a whole suite here uh, to sell to the benefit leader and HR. So HR will have their performance compensation module, HR will have their regulatory compliance module, and then they'll have their employee health benefits module. And it will have, uh, you know, and so, um, so that, that, that's, I, I see this as a very interesting sector. The problem, the problem with that is that all those individual small companies that have started uh, in general, I mean, I don't want to make expressions, are usually good at doing one thing. And they've tried to add, they've tried to add that stuff. So Omar is a classic example. They've tried to add high blood pressure. Uh, they bought a company for musculoskeletal or whatever. But in the end, they sell pre-diabetes weight management. That's still the vast majority of what's going on there. And, you know, the same thing is true with Livonga, right? They bought a whole bunch of other stuff before they got acquired by, by Teladoc. Um, they, they bought something in mental health. They bought something in, in uh, 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 pre-diabetes weight management. But in the end, they were selling diabetes management. Um, and it, funny, enough, funny enough, even, you know, even after Teladoc bought them, it's, take, it's taken a lot of time for that stuff to get all kind of squished together and, 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 and sorted out. Even though Teladoc itself is now, you know, about a third a mental health company with the better help um, part, you know, growing very fast, taking advantage actually of some of the <laughs> failings of some of the other mental health you know, talk space and cerebral and some of the other, other folks. It, I, I just think it's very, you know, you don't have, you can buy pieces, but you don't have a, it's back to the same issue we talked about, a high revenue, but, but decently priced company that could easily be acquired, you know, across the board by one of these consolidators. In, in, in benefits. So I think it'll still be a mess for a while. So the next is digital payer. So this is software and tech companies that sell software and tech products into the payer tech budget. So this is the healthcare plan manager, the programmatic budget in there. Um, and here we have companies like uh, HMS, Cotivity, Innovalon, Versend, eHealth, Tivity. Um, and so here, who would be the consolidators of these kinds of companies that often look quite similar to the digital health benefits companies, except that, that the buyer, that they're more attuned to the buyer who is the, the health plan payer. Um, so here I see payers themselves like United Optum or uh, CVS Aetna uh, or Cigna as buyers, also big tech like Salesforce or Oracle. Um, so uh, do, do you, who do you see as the, the buyers of these kinds of companies? Uh, so, sorry. So the question is, would, would those kinds of healthcare tech payers be, be, be buying or be bought? <laughs> so, so that there's like claims integrity, uh, you know, claims, uh, management, uh, that's like, that's like HMS and Cotivity and Ovalon and Ver yeah. Versin. I mean, so who, who would end up buying them? I mean, the obvious answer is this becomes part of Optum if it's necessary, right? The bit, a really big services company, um, potentially some of the uh, of the bigger consulting companies, you know, Tasha or somebody would start buying someone like that or, or, or you know, even Accenture or whatever uh, offerings as well. But most of them will get bought by each other, right? Because those are companies which have clients and have cash flow and what have you, but they're not high margin, not high growth, they're not high revenue in general compared to, compared to some of the others. Um, but, you know, you see some big deals now, which is the biggest deal with, with uh, uh, Optum United buying uh, Change Healthcare. You know, which is in the, which is kind of in that in that space. I don't see it to be a very dynamic space, but there will be there will be activity there. Yeah, so I I see you know 
roll up happening in the first space we talked about, digital health benefits. And I see Teladoc, ShareCare, Transcarent, Omada, uh, maybe Evive and others making some acquisitions to, to build suites and, and platforms, enterprise sales in digital health benefits. I don't really see the same roll up happening in companies that sell into the payer tech market. Um, uh, you know, so, but, uh, uh, so, uh, but yeah, I, I agree with you as Optum as a top buyer and I would throw in there Oracle and Salesforce as well. Look, they're looking, I mean, Salesforce has a goal that all health data be on its servers is it sort of its goal. And, and Oracle, you know, likes to, it has a great Salesforce and likes to buy things that sort of feed its Salesforce. Um, so, um, the next is, is consumer digital health. So this is companies like. Uh, Fitbit, now owned by Google, or Noom, um, or Peloton, uh, or Garmin, um, who are selling it into directly into the consumer budget. Um, and here, um, you know, the, the buyers, uh, there's consumer tech buyers like Best Buy has been, and uh, to a certain extent, Google is also consumer oriented Under Armour. Garmin as a consolidator, Samsung, those are consumer oriented uh, companies. There's also big tech is playing in this world. Um, Apple, Google, uh, also some um, medical device manufacturers like Philips uh, play in this world as well. So those are the, the acquirers I see, the consolidators I see. And again, I, I see moderate interest. I don't see high interest uh, in this sector um, uh, of consumer um, digital health consolidators buying young consumer digital health companies. So I don't know what you're, what you're seeing uh, there, Matthew. The only question there is in the direct-to-consumer sort of pharmacy space, um, the, where Roe, him, says those plays, as they've kind of shaken out a bit, they, that, you know, their values are shaken out, but they're still growing. Him's actually had a good year on the stock market. I wonder if there's some interest in that kind of space, you know, from the, again, probably from the pharmacy, from the pharmacy side, a bit like Amazon tried to, to buy PillPack a while ago. I think in the kind of wearables physical space that the, 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 the winners have been established, right? Apple is the clear winner in the, in the wearable space. The number of the amount of money spent on the Apple watch compared to almost any other wearable, you know, is, is huge. Um, and everyone else is kind of scrapping around for, for second and third place. I don't know if there's, you know, yes, there will be continued consolidation. There will be continued you know, people who, who want to have a wider brand, a wider portfolio of, of health related stuff, but I don't think it's that big a deal. And I think you're going to get to medical devices and other stuff in the world, but that uh, in a while, but there's a massive divide between, um, you know, consumer type health tech and real medical device health tech and that divide is not because of the patient type and everything else that divide was not being closed yet that's right so uh the next area is um health it uh, so this is software and tech companies that sell into the provider tech budget uh so this and that, that that's that's the clinical side and also the financial side uh of uh hospital health systems and uh, medical practices. Uh, and so this is like Athena, Allscripts, Cario, Modernizing Medicine, many others, many clinical decision support tool companies. Um, and so uh, who do they sell into? Well, I think that here you've got uh, big tech has shown a lot of interest here. So Microsoft acquired Nuance in this sector. Um, 
uh, Cerner acquired, I'm sorry, uh, 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 Oracle acquired Cerner in this sector. So big tech's very interested in this sector. IBM did a lot of acquisitions and now IBM's sort of in trouble. Um, uh, Apple has looked a lot at this sector as well. Um, so that, that's one. And then there's, there's, this is a relatively mature sector. So there's a lot of innovators who are big enough to be acquirers now. So, uh, you know, so Athena Health can be an acquirer. All scripts can be an acquirer. Um, Cerner can be an acquirer. Um, uh, so Freesia can be an acquirer. Um, American Well can be an acquirer uh, in this sector. So, uh, so uh, Teladoc, you know, arguably is in this sector. They can be an acquirer as well. So th those are, um, uh, the, the sort of the, the main, um, and then would hospitals be acquirers? Well, they have not really been big acquirers of tech. Um, HCA occasionally makes a tech acquisition. So, uh, and then uh, in this case, I'd say that hospitals are hurting right now. So if you're selling tech as, as a bonus or in anticipation of greater value-based care uh, or something, um, that's, that's not going to be a very hot sector to have a company acquired in uh, today. But if you're selling in, if you really save a hospital money or really make a difference to its bottom line on the clinical side, or alternately, if you have a very clear financial return on the revenue cycle management side, um, then I think you can get, uh, you know, growth uh, from your product buyers in the market and then also acquired by one of these buyers. So Matthew, any thoughts about um, what that market is like and who the, who the consolidators are. Yeah, I think, I mean, that's, that's clearer because it's a, it's got a recognized set of, of buyers and it's a much more stable market. So I would say that, you know, you're, you're, you're probably talking about, you know, some of the bigger names on that list, buying some of the smaller names. Um, there's been a lot of actual interesting acquisition back and forth in the last couple of years there. So in particularly, you know, all scripts changing itself, um, uh, to being, it's not called Ver, uh, Veridime. Um, then you have uh, the back and forth with Athena Health going private and then changing, you know, and then being sold again after we went private, probably going to go public again. Um, yeah, so I think if you go if you go through that, there's a lot of that activity, and yes, a lot of it is around revenue cycle management because in the end, moving there's so much money moving around in healthcare, if you can just divert that one, one way or the other, a small amount. It's, it's, it's a good business. And, you know, that is real business as opposed to a lot of the other types of things going on in digital health, which are still waiting to become, should be bigger businesses than they are waiting to become it. So I think, I think you're right. I think you've got the right level of consolidators there. I don't think hospitals will become a big play there, but, you know, some insurers will, or subsidiaries of insurers will. Um, we obviously see an Optum do that already with change, as we mentioned. So the, uh, so Another one is tech-enabled services. So here, this is fundamentally different than all the other categories. This is not software and tech companies selling software and tech products into the big incumbent uh, marketplaces of healthcare. This is software and tech companies offering care. Um, and uh, you know, this is sort of the, the, maybe you could call it the black turtlenecks, you know, uh, becoming the executives of, of healthcare companies um, with physicians as kind of non-essential uh, employees and the, the black turtlenecks raising money from DC investors and trying to reinvent care and birth a, 
a nationally branded modern healthcare delivery system. Uh, and so here uh, you have companies like One Medical, uh, which was bought by Amazon, and Iora Health and Oak Street uh, uh, and others. Um, and so, and I've, I've heard increasingly a growing number of VCs saying that they're looking to this sector, that the, the, um, the healthcare technology buyer is a terrible buyer and that makes uh, healthcare technology sellers, you know, uh, uh, difficult companies for VCs to invest in. And so they would rather uh, invest in an alternate care delivery model in a tech enabled services, healthcare delivery model, um, that that is, you know, is, is the future. Now, the problem with investing in those is healthcare is a huge market, but if you're investing in tech enabled services, usually that means you have uh, lower margins and slower scaling and VCs don't like that. So, so VCs have to sort of readjust their expectations if they're going to invest in tech enabled services and the buyers here. So this market get, it's getting increasing interest um, and the buyers here uh, are uh, hospitals are buyers. Um, if they miss an opportunity, they can grow and expand by buying tech enabled services. They already sell care. Um, and also, um, uh, big tech is a buyer. So Amazon bought one medical, uh, for example. So uh, any any thoughts on um, on this marketplace and who the buyers are and how it's looking? You know, I had an interesting conversation about this the other day because that this was a trend that happened because, as you said, because it was very hard to sell technology to providers. Um, and so a lot of VCs said, well, we have so much money. Why don't you just, why don't you build the technology and become a provider? And you've seen a ton of people Obviously, mental health is the biggest category, but in many other categories where people have established uh, companies have established their own disease, particular thing for GI care or you know eye care or whatever the hell it is, right down the path. So it seems to me that yeah, you've got you've got this has grown dramatically. You obviously did have a whole bunch uh, took a longer time, but of uh, independent medical groups potentially capitated, many of them going public. You know, not just one medical and, and Oak Street. And one medical bought Iora, as you mentioned, and then itself, both them then going public, and then eventually getting acquired, not at their heights, but at still a, at a pretty healthy clip. Um, they've been acquired by either health plans or, you know, people who want to get into the bigger delivery business, like the Walgreens buying Village Medical, uh, Village MD, or, or, or so CVS buying, buying Oak Street. Uh, it, it seems to me that the kind of, the conversation I, I had was with somebody who was building a technology company to go and sell back to providers. And I said, well, you know, everyone else was giving up on this the other day. They were, they were the other year, they were, everyone was going to build their own provider system and saying, yeah, but that's really hard. Right. And then you have to replace the incumbents you're selling to. If you can be prepared to wait out the sales cycle of the incumbent uh, to selling to the incumbents, to the provider systems, you know, they're a, they're a bigger market. And I think, VCs are going to go backwards and forwards, but I think what it tells you is both of them are really hard. Most of those companies we discussed have been losing money for a long time. Yes, some of them got bought, but some have been losing money for a long time. Some of them were, you know, even if they'd gone public, were in trouble with the amount of money they were losing. Um, I think one, I think one medical actually was getting close to not making, you know, having to raise more money if it didn't get bought, um, just to make payroll and, and, and sustain its losses. So I think overall that the, you know, the the, the it, it, you know, healthcare is a really hard market for VCs. They're trying to invent this new sector of you know tech-enabled services, and it's great. And I wish there was more of it. I wish there was more competition for the incumbents. I mean, the incumbents do a terrible job servicing healthcare, and they're very expensive. And 
you know, we should be using more technology and better services to get, get, get rid of it. However, as a business, it's hard. It's really hard. Both of them are hard. Great. So then uh, there's digital pharma or pharma tech. This is companies like uh, Komodo uh, or Viva that sell into pharma tech budgets, typically to the, the clinical side, like Medidata sells to that or to the commercial side, Viva sells to that um, uh, or to the infrastructure side of, of pharma and life science companies. And so here we saw deals like Roche bought Flatiron because Flatiron had e an EMR and EMR data that was custom for cancer. Um, and we also have, uh, uh, so uh, the, the buyers in this space could be pharma, although I don't necessarily see pharma buying a lot of software and data companies. Um, there's also IQVIA, which is the, the new name for IMS. Uh, and they're, they pretty reliably make acquisitions.